You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey guys, I'm so glad you are back with me on The Devoted Podcast. Before we jump in today, I want to just start out with a couple things. And first of all, I just wanted to say thank you to all of you guys listening. You know, we've been doing this for just a little bit over four months, I think. And I've just had so many of you reach out and it just blesses me like no other to hear from other women and how you guys are just wanting to dig into God's word more. I've heard from people that have been longtime believers. I've heard from people that it's the first time they're starting to study the Bible. And it's just so fun to do this with you guys. And so I really appreciate it. If you have not reached out and you want to ask a question or maybe there's something you want us to dig in into scripture on, I'd love to hear from you. So don't forget, you can always go into the the notes on this and you can look at how to reach us. If you forget, it's the devoted podcast at athecreek.com. But I would love to hear from you guys. You guys have been so encouraging. So it's really fun for me to know who's out there. And I just love that. So the next thing I wanted to chat about just for a second is... At Athey Women, we are going to be doing a study here in the fall here just, well, gosh, when this comes out, it's going to be just in a week or so. And uh, we are going to be studying Psalm 119. And man, I am so excited about this. The first, One of the things we're going to be doing with this, it's going to have um, a study guide. And it's a, it's a book that we've produced. And You can get it on our website, but we're also going to have like limited in-person small groups. You know, we want to be sensitive to all the COVID regulations and all of that kind of stuff. But if you're somebody who is local to Portland and you've been wanting to get into a small group, we have a couple options. We have some limited in-person small groups, but then also some Zoom small groups. So if you're just not ready for that or just being digital or virtual is just easier for you, man, we'd love that to connect in any way. So you can go to athecreek.com and on our women's ministry page you can register for that you can pop over and grab the study guide there as well and we're going to start that at the end of the month on september 29th so love to have you guys join us if you want to do that so today i want to chat about our emotions a bit and you know depending on your bias you may that hear that word emotionally you know women are so emotional And you might, you know, you might inflict your own positive or negative spin on that. I think people have both takes. And women, right, we're typically described as more emotional of the two genders. Now, I am generalizing, of course, that everybody falls a little bit different on that spectrum. But, you know, typically women, we're going to land somewhere on there, you know, where, how, wherever we rate ourselves on the emotional scale. Pastor Gabe, if you've caught him, he's been on here on the podcast a couple times, and he talks about our emotional intelligence and that how women have a tendency to have more emotional intelligence. And I like the way he presents that because it can, it is a good thing. It is how we're wired. And we'll, we'll get into that in just a, a little bit too. But, but sometimes it can have a negative connotation on it, you know, people just going, oh, well, you're just you're just so emotional about things. So I want to talk about like, what, what do we mean by that? And is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? What do we do with with this stuff? So, you know, full disclosure, as I thought about where I'd rate myself on this emotional intelligence spectrum, you know, and I'm not totally sure. I mean, I'm okay, but I don't think I'm great. 
I don't know if it's that I'm a boy mom and maybe I just fit that stereotype. I don't know if I've just been immersed in a whole lot of manliness over here for a really long time or if that's just kind of my natural bent. But I can I kind of tend to have a pretty direct approach when it comes to how I feel or emotions, that kind of stuff. I, you know, and even how I perceive someone else's emotions and how they're feeling, whether accurately or inaccurately, I might add. But so I don't know where you want to stick that. I think doing a little self-assessment of like, huh, how would I rate myself on this emotional scale here? It's, it is kind of subjective, right? Because what is ultra emotional in one sense might not be to someone else, you know. But emotion can be, for a lot of us, it can really be a driving force for us, can't it? Sometimes it's comes from this obvious question of, well, how does this, what, fill in the blank, make us feel? How does it make you feel? Do I like this? Does this, does such and such, whatever I'm doing right now, does it make me happy? Well, there I've stepped into a mantra right there, right? Happiness. We'll, we'll get to that in just a, just a bit because happiness, that's is usually where a lot of this is driving from. There's a lot of this emotion. But let's start with the premise that emotions in and of themselves aren't bad. Okay. You know, in fact, the this is the way the Lord created us. Now I'm not using that as a as a blanket statement of like, well, this is just the way I am, so deal with it. No way. That's not what we're saying here. But it is true that the Lord made us with sensitivities and emotional intelligence, if you want to call it that, that is different than guys. My my pastor often talks about that if churches were made up of all men, it would not be good, folks. I mean, he's like, you know, this would not be good. This would be boring. This would be a very just nah, this would not be a good place. And even in creation, God said that, didn't he? After he created man, he said, and he created man, and it was not good. That's what God says. And then he follows it up with that man should dwell alone. And so then he created Eve. Now, I don't want us to be feeling our Cheerios too much there as women and say, ah, see, men were bad. And so we had to be created and we're all of a sudden the answer to all of man on nature's ills. And truly, gals take that to mean that sometimes. And that's not what we're saying here either. Men and women, both genders, both sexes are only good insofar as we are image bearers of a perfect God. That's where we are. We find who we are. But yes, our differences and uniqueness, they are good things. But I wanted to look at some scripture that I think kind of gives us some guiding principles as we as we look at this. And the one that I just kept coming back to, it was just to start off is Galatians 5, 22 and 26. And this is where Paul is talking to the Galatians about specifically the fruit of the Spirit. And so he says in verse 22, starts off and says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Boy, we could just camp right out on that, but I want to finish the phrase here and then we'll come back to that because then he says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is probably just the summary of this whole thing right here. But this first part, when it's talking about the fruits of the Spirit, and it talks about love and joy and peace and patience, all of what, all of these very biblical 
terms that at the same time, I think we add our own human emotion to a lot of those words, right? So, you know, love, sometimes we, we translate that as only a feeling. Joy, we, we confuse that with happiness, so only a feeling. Peace, does this make me feel serene? Same thing with patience and kindness and goodness. You know, there's so many of these that just have a little bit that our, our worldly lens sometimes can impose a feeling even on those words. But that's why it's so important to have the next part of that verse in verse 24. And it says that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the what? The flesh with its passions and desires. So when it's telling us there that we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, those are the things that we at first blush that we want. Those are the things that we think will make us feel so good. But it says those things have been crucified. Because if it's with to our passions and to our desires that we want to live by the Spirit. So I thought that was a really good scripture just to look at as sort of a guiding principle, a guideline for where we're headed on, on this road here as we talk about emotions and our feelings a little bit on this. So what does it look like if just emotions are leading? All kinds of ways this manifests itself. Let's look at some examples. So, so parenting. What does that look like? you know, when, with parenting, you know, it can be things like, well, I want my kids to like me, right? We want that to feel good. Because with parenting, it's like, man, disciplining your kids does not feel good. That is not fun. It's not convenient. I mean, I guarantee you, it's always at the most inconvenient times, right? You're probably in the middle of Target. You know, it's not fun. You have to stop what you're doing. That goes back to the convenience thing. But and it, it's just work, right? There's nothing about if you are parenting a toddler right now that feels good, okay? That's just an easy one right there. But there's tons of these. What about uh, relationships or our marriage? How often do our feelings get hurt in relationships? You know, what do we do when that careless word just flies out of our loved one's mouth? You know, who's in charge in that moment? Is it our emotion? Or that's going to manifest itself maybe as anger. Maybe you're more the type that you just get silently angry, but it's still that emotion that is all of a sudden kind of taking control of that moment. Or perhaps it's not in a marriage relationship, but even in friendships, same kind of thing can happen. Or how does the emotions taking the lead, what does that look like if you're single? You know, that the feelings of loneliness, you know, that that can sow seeds of discontentment and not wanting the thing that the Lord's called you to be right now. Very emotion driven sometimes. Another one that I've really been mulling over this one is what does it look like when our emotions are taking the lead culturally? And for some, maybe you might think, well, that might not seem that obvious. And to others, you might feel like, wow, this is like flashing neon lights right now. What does it look like when we respond emotionally to our world and, and the cultural issues around us? And you certainly can see this with how non-believers are responding. You know, you can see, watch the news and you can see people just raging at whatever injustice that they see right now. But there's a whole lot of emotion being displayed right there. But Christians, we see the same kind of thing. You know, they're, they're Christians, even in the church. We'll talk about another little piece where the church is kind of, we, we get off on this, but we're not going back to that Galatians 5.22, 
where it's talking about what the spirit, what the fruit of the spirit looks like. That those are the things that there's no law against those things. We can do those things all we want. We can show love and joy and peace. But when we're not doing those things, when the spirit's not in charge and more of our emotion is in charge and how we feel and what we how we think this should all go down. How about this one? Words and phrases like that's not fair. Man, that one can be pervasive in each of those examples that we just talked about, right? You know, is, is it fair in parenting? Man, it's always easy to pull out the comparison game right away. I guarantee you, if you are dealing with a difficult situation with one of your kiddos, whether it's a toddler or a high schooler, it's so easy for you to go, why? Like, what? What? This person over here, their, their kids are doing awesome and, you know, memorizing scripture. And we can come up with like 15 things that somebody else's child appears to be just killing. And then we look at our situation. We're like, why is this fair? Why? You know, or the same thing. That's not fair. That look, We can do that in relationships and friendships and compare things with that too. Singleness. How is it fair? Why am I single and that person's married? Why? You know what? This isn't fair. This doesn't feel good. And, you know, culturally, we see the fairness thing everywhere, where it's, you know, whether we're talking about the world's definition of equality, that just rubs everybody the wrong way. And then that elicits another emotion, doesn't it? And as I started thinking and praying about this, I was like, man, there are so many things that we see right now that I think if we stop and looked at it, whether it's personally, maybe it's something within our marriage right now, maybe it's something with a friend that we're going through right now that's difficult, that's not going well, right? Or maybe it's something with one of our kids. If you kind of strip back and you look at what that situation is, how much of the way you're responding, the way you're reacting to it is coming from a place of emotion. And I, it just really struck me because we can get where we just feel despondent and, you know, ultimately just really unhappy. And that's the crux of the matter, isn't it, right now? Because in our day, to not be happy is absolutely unacceptable. I mean, it goes right there with that not being fair. I think we hear both, right? We we hear that isn't fair and everything should be fair, which, again, I, I don't see that biblically. Then the next you're going to see is people will say, well, I deserve to be happy. Interesting. You know, and guys, I wish this is what I was talking about earlier, that I wish I was just referring to the unbelieving world out there, because then it would make sense. Right. You know, you have unbelievers that they they don't have Jesus. And so they find themselves just just undone and and miserable with their lives because they, they don't have the hope that we have. Right. But sadly, and I'm going to call this a false doctrine of happiness, this idea that you deserve to be happy above all else. And I mean, it's even taken the main stage in the greater church that you will not have to look far to find a very popular author and speaker, blogger, influencer, whatever they're going to call be called out there that is going to put this doctrine of happiness as the paramount. That guys, this is the goal that you should be shooting for. You got to be happy. And if you're not happy, they would say, then you need to either discover more about who you are. You need to find your Enneagram. You need to discover yourself more. I'm not saying that some of those things are all inherently terribly evil, but I caution you to ever look to things that are pointing you more inward into yourself 
as opposed to looking at God and the character of God and who he, he is and who he says you are. That should be where we look. That should have the the highest priority. But sadly, we've got a whole bunch of authors. And you guys have heard me talk about some of these before. But I have to mention it again because I am just increasingly stunned, guys, by the following that some of these popular authors and speakers and bloggers that they have. And I'm, I'm going to refer you guys this time too to uh, an apologist, Elisa Childers, who it just she does a lot of great work. She has a great podcast and she writes a lot of articles, but she spends some time reading some of these books and really measuring them against scripture. Some of these ideas and these worldviews from speakers and authors like Jen Hatmaker and Glennon Doyle and Rachel Hollis, all of these gals are they're gals that very much promote an, a doctrine of happiness very much driven by feelings and emotions like that really drives these gals on their worldview. And if you are in any way swayed into their perspective, I would just really implore you to look into that deeper from a biblical construct. And and Lisa Childers does a really great job. I will put her blog or her website in the notes so you guys can remember that. But check out the Elisa Childers because she really does spend some time as an apologist looking at some of those ideas that these women put forward. And like I said, I bring them up because they absolutely really camp out on happiness as king or queen, as they would probably put it. And they and so she takes those things and we talk and looks at what Jesus says about those ideas. And she does a really great job. So I'm gonna let you guys look into that if you're in any way swayed by that. But for those of you that are like, I don't even know who those people are, awesome. But I would still tell you that even if you've never heard of any of these popular authors, speakers, or whatever they're they're doing out there, you probably have a great friend that just loves to tell you that if you're unhappy in your marriage right now, ugh. Well, you deserve to be happy. Guys, I don't see it. I don't see it. So what is at the root of each of those examples uh, that we looked at there? You know, there. I think if you, you look at the parenting one, you look at uh, the reactions we can have to those things. And, it, you know, whether it's I'm not it's not fair, I'm entitled to something different. You hear a lot of did you guys hear it? The pronoun there? I. Me, me, what, how, uh, me, I'm at the end of this, you know, and how this makes me feel. And so emotions, they just can quickly go from this great thing that the Lord blessed us with to full throttle boss mode, calling the shots. And I think it can slip and get a little um, away from us before we even realize it. If something doesn't feel good, does that make it bad? So at first blush, everyone's like, well, yes, that's not good. And we, we as humans, our survival mode even is to kind of we shy away from things that are going to harm us. Right. But think about that. Here's a couple examples. Th- things that don't feel good. Are they necessarily bad? OK, childbirth. Any moms out there? Does that feel good? No, it does not. But it's amazing. And something amazing comes from that. But it does not feel good in the process. Anyone love the dentist out there? Not really. I have serious trauma with dentists. But getting a root canal, not fun. That does not feel good. But is it a good thing? Well, yeah, because if you don't, then you're 
I don't even know what happens, like your tooth rots or something. And that sounds extremely painful. So that's not good. What about like getting up early? Oh, please don't talk about my bedtime, like trying to go to bed and then getting up 10, 15 minutes early. I mean, for some of us, that can just sound painful to have to get up early and read my Bible, even five, 10 minutes, whatever. Getting up early doesn't feel good at the moment. But man, have there ever been a one of us that has gotten up early, spent time in the word and gone, ah, really wish I hadn't done that. Like never. That's just not going to happen. How about exercise? Anybody love that routine? No, mm -mm, that doesn't feel good either. And you're sore for days and you can't walk and it's just it's just painful. But it's good for us, right? Here's one grief. You're like, man, what? How is some grief? How is that a good thing? I mean, you get the bad part of it. But I think that grief, the process of it, the emotion, it's not bad. Now, it's painful, painful to go through, isn't it? But look at the look at the fruit that can be had as we allow the Lord to comfort us. It's there. And I know many of us have experienced the rewards of that, as ironic as that sounds. But it's not something that feels good. And so even often, sometimes with grief, it can what can delay us in uh, really seeking the Lord and allowing the Lord to comfort and heal us is we have a tendency to not want to grieve. And so we'll just push it away because it hurts. We don't want to deal with that. But that's not the answer. We, we have to sometimes go into these things that don't feel so good to get what the Lord has for us through it. So I think the word of God gives us a different perspective on all of this. You know, what, what if our emotions weren't the boss and feeling happy wasn't our ultimate goal? And again, I'd ask you to check yourself and honestly look at the things that are driving the responses that you're making, whatever it may be. But really kind of look at it and see what what's behind this. Am I is this response I'm having? Is this reaction I'm having? Is this a response from emotion? Or am I doing this through the am I doing what Galatians said, putting to crucifying the things of the flesh and the passions and desires of the flesh? Am I doing that and being led by the fruits of the spirit, or or is it my emotion? Is that what what's behind this? So, but here's the cool thing: I don't believe that the Bible is saying that. You know, it, I don't think it's telling us that we're just going to walk around all our days somber and sad and unhappy. I don't think that at all. What I'm suggesting is that I think what Scripture is telling us is that it's not the aim. Happiness, this false doctrine of happiness, is not the goal. It should not be our goal, but I do think that it might be a really cool byproduct. So let's look at a couple scriptures here, and I'm going to read quite a few. I'll try to pause throughout some of these, but you know, I love Psalm 1, 1 and 2. That's always been a favorite of mine. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Okay, that first part, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. First word, blessed, guys. It just means happy. It means fortunate. That's what it means. But I love the description of what it's saying. I think it even alludes back to the some of the other folks that we may you know, tune into, some of the other counselors we might tune into that might say, this is all about you and that you need to be happy and all of those things. I'm going to suggest that's going to be more down the counsel of the wicked. 
because but it's saying don't go there. I know that they're saying that you're going to feel happy if, you know, if you're not happy in your marriage and you just leave. They're saying you're going to be happy in the end. I don't think so. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. But then I love the next verse. It says, but what is his delight? Where Where is this joy coming from? His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So I can't read that and not have a little bit of Psalm 119 moment here, because I've been studying Psalm 119 for months. We're about to do this study. And, you know, spoiler here, I know the study hasn't happened, but here's the thing, 176 verses, all about the amazingness of the Word of God. And yeah, it says many, many times in Psalm 119, all, you know, those 176 verses, the longest chapter in all of Scripture. And it says often that it is a delight. It will make you happy to sit in it. In that, in that verse two of Psalm one, where it said, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. I love that. And then it also at the same time makes me ask myself, hey, do I delight in scripture like that? Do I delight in it? I think maybe the key to it could be even back up that other verse that said, blesses man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. If you're spending your time not in the law of the Lord, but you're more with the counsel of the wicked, you're whatever's going on in the news, whatever things you're being influenced by, but it's not the word of God, you're going to not find that delight. And so it's uh, convicting to me to ask myself if I'm not finding delight in the word of God, well, well, why not? Where am I spending my time? Where am I putting the priorities for where I get my information, where I seek counsel from? Where am I putting that? Because perhaps I've put it in the wrong spot. But here is where for some, I think, when we get to the, you know, talking about the delight and that being the law of the Lord, some folks, we, we can get a little confused on this one because there are these good verses that, you know, that make you feel happy when you read them. I mean, they just feel good even. Those do exist. But then we see in John 16, when it says that in this world, you will have tribulation. And then we stop and we're like, wait, what? I, I don't want that. The word is supposed to be a delight. And to read that in this world, I'm going to have, be, have tribulation and hardship. And that's not really delighting me. What did Jesus say about this? So we look to Matthew 5 to get a real good snapshot for what Jesus's opinion was of this idea, this emotion of being happy. And I think he kind of turns it on its head a little bit. So keep in mind, we're, we're going to read the word blessed over and over again. And that word blessed in the Greek, it means happy and fortunate. Okay, this is this is a good thing. This is a good thing. But surprisingly, the things that he says will bring you those feelings. This one's this is interesting. You got to love this about Jesus. He can, he, has, he absolutely makes you look at it through a different lens. So in Matthew 5, starting in verse 2, it says, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So do you notice, you know, when you listen or you you read this text, if you're flipping to Matthew 5 on your own and you hear that that description of happy, you know, it probably is conjuring up a little bit different emotion than the one that we covet after so much, right? I mean, when we think of happy, we're, it's just happy. But when you're reading the things that Jesus is saying, the things that will make us happy, you know, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy is the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit meaning humble. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Boy, how many of us, when we've been in the midst of mourning, have felt happy? That wasn't there, right? But it's always the way this is phrased. I love the way he phrases this because he says the thing that it will, that he says, blessed are those who mourn. Not that mourning is happy. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about you. He's talking about me, that I will be blessed. I will be fortunate. I will be happy because I will be comforted. It's a different take on it, isn't it? It's not our worldly take. It's not our lens of our culture that says, this is what I am owed. This is what I deserve. I should be. I should feel good about all of these things. Jesus's perspective is so different, isn't it? And I'm so thankful for that. Because if all of this, if it was, we were just doing all of this for the here and now, there was nothing to go to after we die. This was it. Okay, that wouldn't be very happy. But Jesus's perspective is always the eternal perspective. But Matthew 10, 28, it tells us, to not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, right? We're not, we're not to fear the things that are in this here and now. If that was it, guys, that would be super depressing. He's always keeping the eternal perspective. But then he also talks about in later in Matthew, after, well, where were we? We're, we're just in Matthew 10 now, but back up in Matthew 6. And that's where he talks about laying not for ourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves can take, but to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. He always has the long game. He's always got this eternal perspective. That's the part that matters. And I think that is where this doctrine of happiness really does the bottom kind of falls out from under it. Because here's the thing. The thing that you think is going to make you happy right now in this moment, can you answer that that is the thing that will also have that same response, that same result in eternity? probably a good measure. If if it can, then you're probably on the right track. But if it can't, if it's not going to bring that type of blessing that the Lord is talking about here in eternity, I'm not so sure that that's where we want to be. It's a good passage to meditate on, the the Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, you know, the, the blessed are those who mourn. Because he really does turn it on his head. I really have to, those challenge me. Because it really does take the filter that I have for happiness, and it makes me go, man, Lord, what do you want for this? Because that's what something I want us to always come back to. That's something I want me to come back to, is when we are going to respond to something, we want to come back to how, not what do I want, but what does the Lord want in this? So I think it starts with our emotions and 
making it somehow we need to take them so that they're not being the boss of us. You know, so what if we're not going to let our our emotions rule us, then what does scripture say should be the boss of us? What should be our aim and what should be our goal? And I'm going to throw out a couple big theology terms here. Holiness and sanctification. This is our goal. This is the good stuff, guys. This is the stuff that is going to reap eternal rewards. Not this you know, nonsense now that just it just is going to rot and it's nothing. It's not good for anything. This is the good stuff, holiness and sanctification. So holiness, you know, this is one that, you know, it's easy for us to think on who God is and that God is holy. He is holy, but it doesn't end there. And right now in my Through the Bible reading, I'm weird and I started a Through the Bible reading. I think I started over in August, July? I don't know. I'm I'm in the first five books of the uh, Old Testament still. I'm in Numbers right now, but I just got done reading through Leviticus. So I'm really, I've been going through all of the, the laws and all the regulations for the Jewish people. And, you know, there's so many details, really specific things. But something that struck me this time as I was studying through is that it was not so much the do's and the don'ts. You know, there's a lot of don't do this and don't do that. But rather what I kept noticing was in the midst of all these do's and don'ts and the reasons for them, really, it's it's all about the just the giant importance that the Lord is placing of holiness, that the Lord is holy. So, you know, that was the whole point of all of it. The way the priests were to be consecrated, you know, all the different offerings because God is holy. And he said to his people back in Leviticus 11.44, for I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. It was all about holiness. But we see this in the New Testament also. First Peter 1, 14 and 15, uh, he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Okay, we could just camp on, on that one too right there. Passions of the former ignorance goes back to that Galatians verse too. Think of that as, i.e., the stuff you want to do, the stuff that you think is your, you know, your happy goal. But he continues, Peter does, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And he's referencing that, that piece back in Leviticus. So I love that. It, there, there, we see the Old Testament implication of that, but we also see it in the New Testament that it even extends to us as New Testament believers in Jesus. So that one's just huge. But here's the second second one, and that's sanctification. Okay, right. Giant word. I know. Let's break down a couple definitions on, on it. I looked this one up, and you know, broadly it said that it is the concept of being set apart as sacred. So we I was referring earlier to that passage in Leviticus where he's talking about, you know, the entire people of Israel, that they needed to be sanctified, they needed to be set apart. But it also is like we saw in the New Testament in First Peter. But we also see this in the New Testament, this idea of sanctification. A couple ones I want to read you, but First Thess- Thessalonians 4, 3, and 7, it says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then it's going to go on and it's going to talk about that they abstain from sexual immorality and that they need to control their bodies as to be holy and a, something of honor to the Lord. But just that first part, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Let's notice what it did not say there. You know, everyone is wanting to say, well, what is what is the Lord's will for my life? It said it right here. 
1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So let's, again, it was, it was a big word. So what did sanctification meant? It was just meaning to be set apart, to be holy unto the Lord. What is that? What can that look like for us? Thankfully, it doesn't come just from us. It doesn't come from us at all because there's no holy piece of me, right? There's no nothing that in my flesh that is going to be sanctified in and of itself. But when you read 1 Peter in the very beginning in his introduction, Peter says this in 1 Peter 1, 2, he says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ for the sprinkling with his blood. That's it. That's how we get the sanctification. We get it because of Jesus and the fact and of his sacrifice, the sprinkling of blood from Jesus. So thankfully, it isn't the things that we have to do. Jesus makes that process for us. But I always am challenged by the verses within the New Testament, and we also saw it in the Old, that says, be holy as I am holy. And I hear that and I'm like, man, I don't feel like I'm there. No, I don't. And then that's where the sanctification piece comes in. Because sanctification, part of the definition I didn't read, but it's also, it is, it's the setting apart and being separate. But it is the process also of doing that. It's the things that you will, as you walk with the Lord, continue to die to your flesh, set that thing aside, take that emotion, that reaction that you want to react on and die to it and go, that's not the direction I want to go. That's sanctification. Anytime that we're choosing Christ and we're choosing to die to ourselves, die to our flesh and the things that, you know, we think make us happy for my worldly you know, also hear empty sense, really, things that are going to make us maybe okay in the here and now, maybe, but don't have the eternal perspective that Jesus was keeping in mind in Matthew 5. You know, anytime we're doing those things and making those choices to die to ourself and take on his yoke, it's all there. And I love that. That's sanctification. So sometimes I hear those words and I'm like, man, did they have to make it such a big word that just doesn't really roll off and that if you say it to somebody that this is part of your sanctification process, they're probably going to look at you really weird. But that's what it is. And it, it told us there, it, that's the will of God for us, our sanctification. But there is some work there. And I use that word very delicately because I feel like right now, everybody wants to talk about the work you need to do. They want to talk about the work you need to do. There's all kinds of work if depending on the books that you're reading. But the work that Jesus is asking us to do is really pretty simple. It will not always feel good, but it is the one that reaps the eternal reward. I think the biggest thing that as I look at this and why I think the Lord brings this topic up, you know, this this false doctrine of happiness and your emotions being in charge all the time. I feel like he brings this up so often to me when it's things that maybe I see something online or maybe it's a gal I'm talking to or something I'm reading. And it really just grieves me to see how people are turning to themselves, really. They're looking in for their measure of happiness. They're looking in for what can I do 
in this situation to get me out of the pain, the discomfort that I'm feeling right now in the, you know, in the here and now. And they're not looking to their sanctification because the sanctification right in the here and now, there might be some discomfort, guys. Just like I talked about when we were talking about grief and mourning. No, mourning and grief are not fun. Anybody who's walked that road knows that it is a painful, painful road. But again, that's one that as you walk through that, as you allow the Lord to comfort you and heal you, it's something that I think only probably those of you who have walked that grief road, and I know there's been other things that other trials and things that people have walked through and pressed into the Lord and he's healed them. Just like I feel like I experienced that real healing and comfort from the Lord through grief. You just get a nearness to the Lord that you just never would have had any other way. And it does seem counterintuitive. It seems like, no, what? How is it blessed to mourn? That is not a good thing. But typically, if we're going to look at the things that the world tells us are good and happy, every time they're going to be shallow, they're going to be short-lived, and you know, at times they're going to even be hurtful to you. I see this false doctrine of happiness so sad in Christian marriages. And I say Christian because the Christians aren't, aren't, you know, exempt from this. It's Christians and non-Christians. But it is the idea that we, we deserve to be happy. But again, I think the Lord wants to bless us. Absolutely. And he's so kind to do that. But I think that perhaps scripture is pointing us to that being blessed is more of a byproduct of choosing holiness, to choosing sanctification and setting ourselves apart. Decide who is going to be the boss of you and don't let emotion be the boss of you. Thanks for hanging with me on this episode here. And hey, don't forget that if you go back to wherever you're listening to this on Spotify, on Apple, wherever it is, I always write the scriptures out there that I read through this. Really would love it if you would go and look those up and spend some time praying through those and seeing what the Lord shows you through that because there is just so much power in the word. And this is a tough message for us, right? Because it's telling us we are not always gonna do the thing that we want, that we don't get the thing that we want. But our sanctification, holiness, let's let that be the goal. Thank you for tuning in to The Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at atheycreek.com.